three, uh, we're back to normal life here at Cornerstone Bible Church. I think uh, being at the retreat for four days and three nights was a little bit of heaven on earth. And uh, we thank all those who um, recorded the videos and the photos and posted them on Facebook so we can relive that little bit of heaven uh, every day this week. Um, I don't think... I'm trying to find out if it's possible to get sick of watching those videos, and I haven't found that point yet. That's been such a joy. And uh, we are just really excited to get started in the fall ministry here at Cornerstone. Uh, Pastor James will be back in the pulpit next Sunday. He'll be preaching verse by verse through the book of 2 Timothy. If you have a a username for our website, you can go to our website at cbcbible.org, and you can look at the outline of messages that Pastor James will be preaching over the next number of months. And we look forward to all that God is going to teach us uh, through that time. But this morning what I wanted to do is to address a topic that was raised during our retreat, but that we really didn't have uh, sufficient time to develop and to address uh, during our time together last weekend. And I want to talk about the issue of race, ethnicity, and culture here in the body of Christ. The issue of race, ethnicity, and culture. Um, How does the gospel change our understanding of race, ethnicity, and culture? And how do we pursue unity together as a church, even though we are made up of different races and different ethnicities? Um, I realize that this may be a sensitive topic for many of us. I realize that this is a personal topic for many of us. And so I just wanted to shepherd our hearts in this, that our agenda is just what the Bible teaches. We just want to learn what God has said on the matter and When it comes to issues where God has spoken, we're just not afraid to address these issues. And um, sometimes some of the most sensitive issues and some of the most personal issues are the most profitable issues because the Word of God addresses us at a level in which our hearts must be sanctified and the innermost thoughts and intentions of our hearts are changed. And so that's really the heart behind wanting to talk about this topic In Colossians 3.11, Paul said this about the church. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. And in that verse, Paul alluded to three different distinctions in the church that could possibly divide the church if our eyes are not fixed on Christ. The first distinction he mentions is economic distinctions. Um, In Paul's day, it was slave and free. In our day, it's upper class and middle class and lower class. It's management and labor. It's white collar and blue collar. It's those who uh, make more than six figures and those who make less than six figures. Uh, There's potential for the church to divide among economic lines, and Paul says that is why we need to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. A second distinction he, he notes is educational distinctions. Uh, He talks about Greek versus barbarian, and in that day, that was the major educational distinction in the church. If you were a Greek, you were in the educated elite. You you spoke the uh, elitist language, and if you were not a Greek, then you were automatically a barbarian. You were looked down upon as one who didn't have an education. In our day, it would be those who went to college and those who didn't go to college, those who went to graduate school and those who didn't go to graduate school. Those who attended nationally prestigious universities, such as Ivy League colleges, and those who went to state school or trade school. Um, The church can divide among these lines, and as we said at the retreat, a lot of times this doesn't manifest itself in overt anger or people punching each other on Sundays, but it's just kind of the inner thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's your attitude toward other believers who are different from you. But the third distinction is really what I want to talk about this morning, and that is the ethnic or racial distinctions in the church. In Paul's day, it was Greek versus Jew, uh, uncircumcised versus circumcised. In our day, it might be Caucasian and Asian, Hispanic and African American. Uh, Even in the broader category of Asian in our church, there is Korean and Chinese and Vietnamese and Japanese and Filipino, and these are very real differences Um, ethnic differences that can result in very real division if our eyes are not fixed and focused on Jesus Christ. What we learned last week in our retreat is that real Christian unity is not uniformity. It is not that everyone is the same. It is not that all our distinctions are removed and we all just become one homogenous whole. Real Christian unity is unity in the midst of diversity. 
It is that some of us are hands and some of us are feet and some of us are eyes and some of us are noses. We're all different from each other and yet in the midst of that we have a common spiritual experience in Jesus Christ and so the the enmity, the prejudice, the pride, the arrogance that exists between those differences are being sanctified and we're being brought together in a unified whole even in the midst of our very real differences. Um, over the last 10 years, Cornerstone Bible Church has become more racially diverse. We pray that God would continue this work in the next 10 years. As you know, the history of this church is that uh, it was planted with a group that came out of a Korean church, which accounts for the fact that many of our members are Korean. But the elders of our church have never made race or ethnicity a focal point in the ministry. They have preached and taught the Word of God. They have preached and taught the Gospel. And so we're not surprised that the fruit of that is that there is greater diversity because the Gospel attracts people from all ethnicities, all cultures, and all races. Diversity in the church is not something that is programmed. It's not something that's engineered. It's not something that we manufacture. It is simply a fruit of believing in and trusting in the gospel because the gospel attracts all kinds of people in all kinds of places. And in that diversity, we have unity because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I just want to say something about this whole issue to shepherd your hearts. None of us approach this whole discussion of race and ethnicity from a purely neutral vantage point. None of us approach this whole issue of culture with just from ground zero, and we don't have any background, and we don't have any uh, personal um, take on it. None of us are neutral when it comes to this issue. All of us have a background. All of us have a lineage. All of us are coming from somewhere, and all of us have a vantage point in which we view ourselves and in which we view the world and the society that we live in. Um, for me, I am a Korean-American. Uh, I'm an American because I was born and raised here in Southern California. Uh, my parents immigrated here when uh, they were in college, and they met and married at UCLA. Uh, my mom actually ended up going to USC as well, so I have both Bruin and Trojan blood in me. So... You know, talk about enmities and strife, that's a whole other issue. But I was raised with a pretty typical American childhood. Um, my parents spoke English, not Korean, in the home. I attended a public school that was racially diverse. I grew up listening to American music, um, watching American movies, learning American dances, as some of you know. Um, <laughs> and most of you know this, my childhood was so thoroughly American that by the time I got to high school, my Pop Hero was not one of these Korean bands or Korean pop stars like Soteji or, you know, uh, Super Junior. Like, it was, you know, the, my, my pop star was uh, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. I felt more uh, connection at that time to Asbury Park, New Jersey, than I did to Seoul, Korea. I mean, it was thoroughly American, uh, born in the USA. I was the only Asian in my school who liked Bruce Springsteen, and I thought it was weird until I met Pastor James, and he had a similar experience, and I mean, it was Americanized, um, though I had a Korean heritage and a Korean lineage. Um, I only visited Korea once when I was one year old, and um, that's when my dad took me there to meet my grandparents, and I surprised them all by getting the chicken pox, and, and, um, <laughs> and that, was, that was it. That was my Korean experience, and everything else was pretty much Americanized. I would love to think that because my childhood was so Americanized that I have this neutral uh, vantage point when it comes to race and ethnicity. That Gosh, I just don't have a bias. I'm just thoroughly American, and I don't have any vantage point. But the truth is that I, I could not, um, although I was so Americanized growing up, I could not escape my Koreanness if I tried. Um, if you would have come to my house when I was growing up, it probably would have smelled like Korean food. Uh, my... Parents, when they went to church, they attended a Korean-speaking church. Uh, on Saturdays, I was forced against my will to attend <laughs> Korean school, which um, I flunked every year. I never made it past uh, first grade Korean-speaking in Korean school. And um, to this day, I can only say words like grape and uh, <laughs> airplane in Korean. 
Um, there, there is a lineage, there is a heritage, there is a background that I come with, and all of you come with that same type of experience, whether you're Hispanic American or whether you're Caucasian or whether your background, you're African American, whatever lineage and whatever ethnicity that is in your, your background, you come and you bring that to the table when you come to this discussion of race and ethnicity. We all have an identity. We all have a slant on this issue. And what I want to say as a general rule when it comes to this discussion is that the problem in the church is not racial distinction. It is the pride and the enmity that exists between those distinctions. Now follow what I'm saying here. The problem is not that we are different. Like we said, the whole point of the church is diversity. The problem is that in our differences, we are prideful. And we view other people through the lens of our own uniqueness. And we judge and criticize other people based upon their differences from us. The problem is not that I am Korean and you're not. The problem is not that, uh, that some of us are Hispanic and some of us are Caucasian. The problem is not that we have different races and different cultures that accompany those races. The problem is that in our sinfulness... There is pride, there is enmity, there is prejudice, there is arrogance, there is criticism, there is a judgmental spirit. There are prideful sins that come out in this area in which we judge people who are different from us. Um, I grew up uh, when I was, um, we had a large family, I had about 20 plus cousins. And when we got together for Christmas dinner, man, we, there was no sit down dinner for 20 plus cousins. I mean, it was not sit down because you couldn't get them to sit still that long. It was basically one big rice pot and everyone just took paper plates and just grabbed what they could and went to their separate sides of the, of the house. That's how we did Christmas dinner. And I remember the first time I went to Christmas dinner where it was an actual sit down Christmas dinner where there's silverware and forks and knives and candles and a place setting and feeling like, wow, this is weird. Um, and kind of like in my pride thing, well, our way is better, you know, the paper plate way. <laughs> and you listen to that and you think like, that's crazy. I mean, objectively speaking, objectively speaking, which is better? You know, to eat off a paper plates where, where kids are just kind of throwing their plates all over the place or have a nice sit-down dinner. I mean, objectively, that would be a nicer way to have dinner. But in my pride, because that was my cultural background, that's what I was comfortable with, there was this immediate reaction to think that because it's different, it's not as good as the way that we did it. And you see, in our pride and our sinfulness, we all have that bias. We all have our own background, the way that the culture that we're familiar with, the smells that we're familiar with, the type of food that we're familiar with, the type of humor that we're familiar with. And our tendency is to come to others in the body of Christ who are different from us and to think that just because they're different, that it's not as good. The problem is not that we're different. The problem is that there is um, enmity and there is pride that divides us based upon those differences. The way that we achieve unity in the body of Christ is not by obliterating racial and ethnic distinctions. The way is that we must be sanctified from our pride and grow in our humility. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 portrays this beautiful picture of heaven. It goes like this. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You'll notice that even in this heavenly scene that there are still racial distinctions it's not that God just melds everyone together and just obliterates the differences between them. There's still different peoples and different tribes and different languages and different people groups. There's still distinctions, but the beauty of the scene of worship is that God obliterates the enmity and the strife and the pride and the arrogance that exists between them so that they come together and they join in one heart and one mind and worship the lamb that was slain to save them from their sin. 
The church is not a place where cultural and ethnic distinctions are obliterated. The, the church is a place where our pride is dealt with, where our critical spirits are dealt with, where we grow in humility and we recognize that though other brothers and other sisters in Christ are different from us, that is the beauty of the body of Christ. And it is not wrong to appreciate my background or where I'm from, but it is wrong for me to not appreciate or to depreciate someone who is different from me. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Someone's going to look at that and say, See, see Dan, there it says that we just obliterate all racial distinctions among us because there's nothing... There's no more Jew or Greek. But I would ask you this question. When Paul says that there is neither male nor female, does that mean you stop being a male? Or you stop being a female and that everyone just kind of comes together and there's no more gender? Of course it doesn't mean that. You're still a male and you're still a female. There's still differences, but what has been obliterated is the enmity and the pride that exists between those genders so that they unite together in faith in Jesus Christ. In a similar way, what we are after in the church is not uniformity, but unity. I'll give you a personal example of this. Um, when I was uh, first year in seminary, my uh, Greek professor, uh, Paul Felix, took me and I out to dinner. And some, many of you know uh, uh, Professor Felix. He's an African-American, and, and I was like in awe of him, distinguished Greek professor, and I was this freshman seminary student and I was like wow can I see where you pray and can I see like where you study the Bible I mean I mean I was just so amazed that he would take us out to dinner but he invited us to his house and he said basically you know you come to my house you're going to eat my food and so he took us out to soul food and um, it wasn't you know soul food like s-e-o-u-l soul food it was soul food s-o-u-l soul food and I'll just be real honest with you. I didn't, I mean, when we grew up in Korean home, we didn't go out to soul food. I mean, we just didn't. We went to different kinds of food, but soul food was not in my cultural comfort zone. And um, I remember um, entering into that and just feeling just, you know, this was not what I was used to. And I learned something that night that was really valuable to me, and that was that um, soul food's really good. I mean, it's, it's like, it was it was really good, and, and I actually went back without him, you know, just because it, it was uh, such a good, such a dis- discovery. And I was just so glad that when he took us out, he didn't come with this, you know what, the body of Christ, we don't have any distinctions, we don't have any cultures, no race, we just obliterate all of that, and so that means we can't go to Korean food, and we can't go to soul food, we're just going to eat something neutral, like, you know, wheat bran or something. We're just going to eat something <laughs> totally new with no ethnic um, identity, and no ethnic or cultural associations. That's not the body of Christ. The body of Christ is we are different, and we do have different cultures, but we're willing to cross over into cultural um, areas that we're not as familiar with because we celebrate the diversity that is in the body of Christ. The problem is not racial differences. The problem is racial pride. It is racial enmity. It is racial prejudice. So really here we're right back to talking about the one sin that we keep coming back to and preaching against, and that is the sin of pride. It is the sin of pride. Um, Pride manifests itself in so many shapes and sizes and so many different ways, and one of the ways that pride shows itself is in this area of racial, ethnic, and cultural differences. Can I just be really raw with you here? I mean, the issue is not that uh, you enjoy your ethnic food. The issue is that you're not willing to cross over and enjoy other ethnic foods. The issue is not that you want to learn about your heritage. The issue is that you are critical of other people's heritages. The issue is not that you appreciate your culture. The issue is you depreciate other cultures. The issue is not that you have differences from your other brothers in the body of Christ. The issue is that you make light of other brothers' differences and you feel that your differences are somehow superior to theirs. There's male pride, female pride, rich pride, poor pride, and there is 
racial pride, ethnic pride, cultural pride. And what we are after here in the, the church is racial humility. Racial humility. In Ephesians 2, verse 11, uh, Paul teaches us three keys to being sanctified in this area, three keys to developing humility in the area of race and ethnicity. And these are going to be three perspectives from the gospel that will grant us to live in unity in the midst of our diversity. The first thing he teaches us in verse 11 is if you want to be sanctified in this area, you need to understand your racial identity. You need to understand your racial identity. Verse 11, he says, Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh. And we'll just stop right there. If I were to pass out a survey this morning, and were to ask you what race or ethnicity do you belong to, what box would you check off? Maybe some of you have, have uh, taken a survey like this, a governmental survey, in which they ask you to identify your ethnicity. And on this list is uh, boxes that say Caucasian, Asian, African American, Hispanic, Indian, and so forth and so on. What box would you check off if we were to pass around a survey like this this morning? Well, God has a survey for you this morning, but it is drastically simplified, and there are only two options. What race are you in reference to salvation? And there are only two boxes. You are either a Jew or you are a Gentile. You are either a Jew or you are a Gentile. Now keep in mind, this is an ethnic and racial distinction. You are either physically a descendant of Abraham through Isaac and Jacob, or you are outside of that lineage. And the box that God would have you check off is either... Jew or Gentile, and there is no third box that says other, or you fill in the blank. Which box would you check off? Now, you might be saying, Dan, wait a second. You've got to be mistaken here. I mean, it's a lot more complex than that. I mean, there are a lot more races than that. I mean, we have, you know, even in our church, we have a lot of different uh, ethnicities. It can't just boil down to two uh, races or two uh, ethnicities. There's got to be more boxes. And what I would say is that in reference to salvation... In reference to the gospel, in reference to our faith in Christ, the Bible only makes a distinction between Jew and Gentile, and it doesn't make any further distinctions than that. Which would you check off? I would guess that 99 to 100% of us would check off the second box, Gentile. And if you're a Jew by race, um, and somehow I, I, I missed you, then please come and talk to me after service. We love to, there's another message for you um, from the Bible. But I'm going to just assume for our sake that we're speaking to a Gentile audience here. The difference between Jew and Gentile is so great that all other distinctions, biblically speaking, pale in comparison. We make such a big deal out of it. You know, Asian versus Caucasian and you know, European versus um, African American. We make such a big deal of all these different things. The Bible just says, you know what, there's one big deal, and that's Jew and Gentile. All other distinctions are just really petty in light of those two. Let me illustrate this for you. Um, all, of this are, all of us are from different parts of California. Some of you from Northern California. Some of us from Southern California. Even in L.A., some of you are... South OC and North OC, and some of you are San Gabriel Valley and San Fernando Valley, and we kind of make this big deal out of these little distinctions. Well, I'm from the San Gabriel Valley, I'm up the 57, and oh, I'm from South OC, I'm down on the 5. And all of those may seem like a big deal to us until we come to this idea of are you American or are you Russian? When you go to Russia and you're at the airport and you're checking in, they give you a visa, it doesn't help to say to the Russian guy, you know, I'm, I'm from the San Fernando Valley. Um, go Anaheim. I'm, I'm not a Dodger fan. I mean, he, the only thing that matters to him is, are you Russian or are you American? From God's perspective, the only thing that really matters in reference to salvation is, are you a Jew or are you a Gentile? And everything else is secondary. We have more in common racially than we think we do. Um, we... We are Gentiles. Again, unless I'm mistaken, 
I'm speaking to a Gentile audience, and we are Gentile. And within the broader category of being Gentiles, yes, some of us are Caucasian and Asian and Hispanic, and, and there's different smaller distinctions, but in light of the bigger distinction, those differences really aren't that big of a deal. Let me go after this a little bit. Uh, some of you need a rewiring of your understanding of your racial identity. Do you think of yourself, if someone asks you, what is your race or ethnicity? Is your first response, I am a Gentile first, and I'm a Korean American second. I am a Gentile first, and then I'm African American second. I am a Gentile first, and I'm Hispanic second. Is your first response, I am a Gentile, and then secondarily, I'm something else? Or is your first response... I'm a Korean American, and Gentile some sort of something you don't even really think about. Are you willing to rewire your understanding of your racial identity in light of the gospel, in light of the Bible, in light of what the Bible teaches in reference to salvation? Most of us think of our lesser identification first, and we think of ourselves as Gentile second, which is about as... It's, it's like making such a big deal that I'm from the San Gabriel Valley and making a small deal that I'm an American or that I live in America. These are the only two racial categories used in reference to salvation. Why is it so important that you understand your racial identity? It's important because you will never overcome racial pride until you understand who you are racially. You will never cultivate humility in the area of race and ethnicity until you understand who you really are. And who you really are is you're not primarily Korean or you're not primarily Chinese or you're not primarily Japanese. You're not primarily um, Hispanic. You are primarily a Gentile and secondarily you are something else. The truth is we don't like to identify ourselves as being Gentiles. We like to identify ourselves with other, in other ways because being a Gentile is inherently humbling. You see, if I say, you know, I'm Korean, then I can, um, I can feel good about that because, you know, Koreans have good food or whatever. Or if you say, some of you, it's, you know, you say I'm Chinese and you feel good about that because of the wonderful things that Chinese people have done throughout history. All of us kind of identify ourselves in a certain way and then we feel good about it and we like those identifications. But when you come to this idea that we're Gentiles, what being a Gentile means is you have absolutely nothing to boast of and absolutely nothing to be proud of. And that's why we don't naturally like to think of ourselves in this way. But the truth is that that is the only category that matters in re reference to salvation. We have more in common uh, racially than we think we do. Now, some people may ask me, you know, Pastor Dan, do you believe in interracial marriage? And my answer to that is, if what you're talking about is can a Jewish Christian marry a Gentile Christian, then absolutely yes, because they're one in Christ. If you're talking about can an Asian American Christian marry an African American Christian, my response is that's just Gentile marrying Gentile. That's not even interracial in the biblical sense. When we say that we are Gentiles, we are saying that we are part of the race that is not important. We are part of the race that is not at the center of world history. We are part of the race that was um, not the movers and shakers when it came to God's redemptive plan. We are not on the inside, we are on the outside. When we say that we are Gentiles, we say that in reference to race, we have nothing to be proud of and nothing to boast of. Why? Because we're not Jews. And that's what Paul says in verse 11. Remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, he's talking to us, you were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. That was a racial slur by the Jews. They despise Gentiles and they call them you uncircumcised people. which is made in the flesh by hands. Paul reminds us that true circumcision is the circumcision of the heart 
And then he says, because of your race, verse 12, remember this. Remember that because of your race, because of your ethnicity, because of your identification as being Gentile, you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Here's the issue. The issue is, there was a nation that was at the center of God's plan, and it wasn't us. There was a people group that was at the center of God's program, and it wasn't us. There was a nation that was uniquely blessed by God and chosen by God, and it wasn't us. There was a nation who was at the center of the world, and in which the Messiah came to minister to, and it was not our nation. It was not our race. It was not our ethnicity. We are not the insiders. We are the outsiders. And I just say this just quite honestly. Some of you Korean brothers need to hear this. We are not the insiders just because the church is some kind of part of the Korean culture. Many of us, we've grown up with the church as part of the Korean culture. And because of that, we feel like we're the insiders. And we come into church and we come with a swagger that we feel like we own the place because we grew up in church. Listen, brother, you're not the insider because you're not primarily Korean. You're primarily a Gentile. And what it means to be a Gentile is that you're on the outside. You're not near. You're far. You're not at the center. You're on the periphery. You weren't part of the chosen race. You were part of those who weren't chosen. And until you come to terms with that, your pride will not be dealt with and you'll still walk around with this chip on your shoulder and this racial distinctions uh, feeding your, your pride. Until you come to terms with the fact that in reference to the gospel... My race was not at the center of God's plan. You know, in our pride, we think, all of us think that our race, our ethnicity is at the center of the world. If I were to ask some of you, what is the center of the world right now? A lot of you would say, oh, that's easy, it's America. Well, that's even easier, it's L.A. I mean, we're at the center of the world, right? The Bible says that there is a center of the world, And there is a center of God's plan, and it's not America. It's the land of Israel. It's this little plot of land. You can find it on a globe. God promised this land to Abraham and his descendants. And everything that goes on in that little plot of land affects everything else in the world. That's the center piece of the world. That is where the people of God and the nation of Israel, that is the land they were given. And they were the centerpiece of God's plan for most of redemptive history. And Paul says, if you know that you are a Gentile, you are on the outside. You are on the outside. These are not, the Old Testament is not your scriptures, the Jews. The covenants that were made, they're not your covenants. They're, they were made with the Jews. The promises, the prophecies that were made regarding the Messiah weren't made to Korea and they weren't made to China and they weren't made to to Cuba and they weren't made to um, America. They were made with the nation of Israel. You understand? There is a centerpiece, a center race to the plan and program of God and it is not the Gentiles. And brothers and sisters, it's not just theological talk. This is real life. It's real life. You're never going to know how to relate to other races and ethnicities until you deal with the pride in your heart. And you're never going to deal with the pride in your heart until you realize that because of your racial identity, you are not at the center of God's plan. And you have no reason to be prideful. You have every reason to be humble. And the flip side is we have every reason to be grateful. There's a story of a Gentile woman in Matthew chapter 15 who had the right perspective. The story says that she had a demonized daughter. She cried out to Jesus, have mercy on me, son of David. And Jesus answered her, you're a Gentile. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He said, wait a second. I thought Jesus loved everybody. I mean, he did. 
But he also understood his mission as the Messiah, and his mission was to minister to the people of Israel because Jesus came out of the lineage of the Jews, and Jesus was a Jew. And at that point in God's redemptive program, the Jews were still the center and the focal point. So here comes this Gentile woman, and she comes and asks for help, and Jesus says, look, I was sent only to the house of Israel. How does the woman respond? She says, she cries out again, and Jesus says, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I say, well, that's not really PC, Jesus. I mean, you just called this uh, Gentile woman, you identified her as being a Gentile dog at the foot of the table, wanting to lick up the crumbs that was for a feast that was set for Jews. And you're not even saying that she's a Gentile dog. You're saying that it's not even right for me to feed you because this is a feast set for the children who are the Jews. How does the woman respond? She says, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She says, you know what? I'm a Gentile. The table's set for Jews. I'm in the place of a household dog. If I can just lick up the crumbs that the Jews spill, I'll be happy. You know what, brothers and sisters, that's what it means to be a Gentile. You and I were in that place. The promises were made to the Jews. The covenants were made to the Jews. The scripture was given to the Jews. The prophecies were made to the Jews. The table was set to the Jews, to the nation of Israel. And here we come as Gentiles. And if all we can do is to lick up the crumbs that fall from the Jewish table, we'll be happy. And she says, Lord, that's all I want to do. And Jesus says... Your faith is great, woman. That is the mark of true faith, and that is the mark of Gentile faith. It's not racial pride. It's racial humility. It's humility because you understand who you are. It's humility because you understand that you are the outsider. It's humility... Because you understand that your race is not the central race in history. Do you understand your racial identity? And I mean, brothers and sisters, do you really understand it? I mean, some of you are going to say, yeah, yeah, Dan, I know, I know what you're saying. You're, you're saying I'm a Gentile. And, and you're going to go right out and, and start calling yourself by whatever other distinction that you want to make. Do you really, do you own this? Do you really get this? Is this really how you view yourself? Or have you been conformed to the world's thinking on race? You've been conformed to all these sociological studies and all the politician talk, and you haven't been renewed in your mind with the scriptures. And the scriptures say, that either you're a Jew or you're a Gentile, and if you're a Gentile, you have, you're in the place of the household dog. Some of us uh, have a hard time with this because we have a hard time seeing the Jews as the centerpiece of history, and my response to that is read the Scriptures. Just read the Scriptures. Start in Genesis and go all the way through. That's God's view on history, and it's all about the Jews. It's all about the Jews all the way from Genesis 12 all the way to Matthew 28, and the only time it starts becoming about the Gentiles is when the Jews reject their Messiah, and Jesus says at the end of Matthew 28, go and therefore make disciples of all nations now. And he opens the floodgates to go open to all the Gentile world, and then the book of Acts is how the church is established and goes into the Gentile world and starts reaching people with the gospel. Up to that point, it's about the Jews. And they're the centerpiece of redemptive history. The first thing you need to understand to grow in racial humility is your racial identity. You are a Gentile. The second thing you need to understand, Paul says, is your racial experience. Your racial experience. So here we are, we're all at the foot of the table. We're just saying, Lord, just let me lick up the crumbs that fall from the Jewish feast, that's all we asked. That's all we could hope for. 
And if we could just do that, we'll be blessed. And here's what God did for us Gentiles in Jesus Christ. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Here's the main idea. It's the idea of double grace. It's the idea of double grace. I use that term to emphasize that grace is unlimited and grace is infinite, but there is dimensions to God's grace. And the first dimension is that we were sinners and God saved us. And that's usually how most of us tend to think of our salvation. We were dead and God made us alive. We were in rebellion and God reconciled us to himself. That's the first grace that God showed us. But the second dimension to God's grace is that we were Gentiles. And God not only crossed spiritual lines to bring us to Christ, God crossed racial lines to bring us into faith, into a Jewish Messiah. Have you ever thought about this? I think there's sometimes I come to church and I just think this is so weird. I mean, I'm a here I am, a Gentile, I'm a Korean American, and I'm worshiping a Jewish Savior, a Jewish Messiah. I mean, how weird is it? I open my Bible for devotions in the morning, I read the Jewish scriptures. I come to communion and I partake of the Jewish covenant, which was the new covenant made with Israel, not with the Gentile world. How weird is it? I remember talking to a Jew, and, and he wasn't a believer in Christ, and just saying, you know, I, I read your scriptures every day. I, I know the history of your people. I know your covenants. I believe in the Messiah that was promised to your people. And just coming away thinking, how weird is that? I mean, how, I'm Korean-American, and I believe in the Jewish Messiah And here he is, a racial Jew, and he doesn't believe in his Messiah. And all of that points to the fact that when God saved us, it wasn't just that in general he rescued us from sin, it was that he crossed racial lines in order to bring us into faith, into a Jewish Savior. Verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This whole idea of being far off was, it started off as a geographical idea because the Gentile world was far off from the temple in Israel where the presence of God dwelled. And I would ask you the same question. How, how near are you physically to the Holy Land? How near are you physically to Jerusalem? Uh, can you walk there? Can you drive there? Can you take a bus there? And all of you would say, Dan, I can't go there. It's so far away. I mean, the Holy Land is far off. And this whole idea of the Gentiles being far off from God, from being far off from the presence of God, became descriptive of the spiritual idea. That we, because of our race, were far off from God. We were alienated from the knowledge of God. And Paul says that the blood of Jesus Christ have taken those of us who are far off and it has brought us near. Listen uh, really carefully. Because some of you still think that race and ethnicity is a sociological issue, it's a political issue, or something that's left to the community organizers. The design of the blood of Jesus Christ was not just spiritual in nature, but it was racial. The purpose of the Son of God dying on the cross to save men from their sins was not just to cross spiritual lines, it was to cross racial lines. It was not just to break down spiritual barriers, it was to break down racial and ethnic barriers. And the way that we see that is that through the blood and the cross of Jesus Christ, the greatest Racial barrier that has ever existed in the history of the world has been obliterated through the power of his death and his resurrection. And what is that? It's not the animosity between black and white or 
Hispanic and Asian. It is the animosity that existed between Jew and Gentile. The barrier that existed between Jew and Gentile was the greatest barrier and division in the history of the world. It was the greatest hostility in the history of the world. It was the greatest racial distinction and separation in the history of the world. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, and when he shed his blood, it was not only for the purpose of bringing men to God, it was for the purpose of bringing races to one another. And what he did is he obliterated that wall. He broke it down. Verse 14 says, He himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances. In salvation, God breaks down the barriers that divide different races. Check this out for racial tension. The Jews thought the Gentiles were created by God to be fuel in hell. For a Jew, it was unlawful to aid a Gentile mother who was giving birth to a baby because you'd be responsible for bringing another Gentile into this world. A Jew traveling from the south part of Israel would purposely go around the Jordan River to cross, um, to avoid entering into Samaria because Samaria was a place where there were half-breed Jews and Gentiles. And he disdained that place. If a Jew happened to pick up Gentile dirt, he would shake the dust off his feet as he entered into Israel. If a Jewish boy or girl married a Gentile, they would have a funeral because to touch a Gentile was equal to death. The Gentiles, for their part, oppressed the Jews in the Old Testament. They killed them. They slaughtered them. You can read all about it, how the Gentile nations oppressed the nation of Israel, and the Jews, in response, despised the Gentiles. You remember the story of Jonah, how he went and preached to Nineveh, and at the end of that story, he just, he's so depressed and he wants to die. He said, what's so depressing, Jonah? Why, is your life, why do you want your life to end? Oh, you know, I just preached at this revival, and it was the greatest revival in the history of the world. 100,000 people repented and came to knowledge of Christ. Well, what's so depressing about that, Jonah? Well, they were all Gentiles. I hate Gentiles. I can't stand the thought of Gentiles being forgiven of their sin. I mean, there was so much racial prejudice and animosity, and it wasn't just decades, it was centuries long. And what did Jesus do when he died on the cross? Is He broke that barrier. And he united both Jew and Gentile into one body. Some of you are old enough to remember the Berlin Wall, which separated communist East Germany from democratic West Germany. And some of you are old enough to remember Ronald Reagan's speech in which he said to Mikhail Gorbachev to tear down this wall. And some of you remember the scenes of joy and the singing and the jubilation that occurred when the wall actually fell and people took hammers to that wall and Germany was reunited. What Paul's saying here is that there was a greater wall in history. And it was the wall between Jew and Gentile. And when Jesus came down to earth, he fulfilled the law. He released the law's dominion over believers. And therefore now, Jew and Gentile can now come one in one body and fellowship together in faith in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, the argument this morning is from the greater to the lesser. If God, in the gospel, broke down the greatest racial and ethnic division that has ever existed in the history of man and united them together in one body, which is the church, how much more does that victory apply to the lesser racial distinctions that exist among us? If the design of the cross was to affect the reconciliation between the two racial groups that hated each other the most and to unite them in Christ, then how much more does that design apply 
to the distinctions among even the Gentiles. Between Caucasian Gentiles and Asian Gentiles. Between Hispanic Gentiles and African American Gentiles. Even within the broader category of Asians, between Korean Gentiles and Chinese Gentiles, Japanese Gentiles and Vietnamese Gentiles, how much more, if God did the greater, how much more does it apply to the lesser and transform our understanding of race, even in the midst of these smaller divisions that we experience? Racial reconciliation and harmony is not a behavioral issue. It is not a sociological issue. It is a gospel issue. It is a cross issue. It is a blood of Jesus issue. Because the design of the cross was to not only bring men to God, but to bring different races to one another. So if you want to deal with this in your heart, you need to understand your racial identity. You need to understand your racial experience. And then thirdly, you need to understand the big picture. You need to understand the big picture. There's a bigger picture. Does God want us to get along with other ethnicities just for the sake of harmonious relationships? Does God want us to get along with other races and cultures just so the sake that our church can be PC and not be criticized? Does God want to affect this kind of change in the culture of the church just because that's, that would mean that we get along and we have a good time together? What Paul says here in verse 18 is that there's a bigger issue. And I just have time to touch on this, so watch this carefully. Verse 18. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer aliens and strange, strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What is the greater purpose behind racial Reconciliation and racial harmony. I want to point you to one picture that Paul identifies here and draws out in this passage. What he says in verse 18 to, verse, to the end of the chapter is something that is breathtaking. God is doing something in this day and age. And what is he doing? He's building a temple. He's building a temple. It is a new temple. It is not just new in time, it is new in quality. It is not just new in material, it is new in its identity. It's not like the old temple which existed in the land of Israel in which God's presence dwelt in a special way in that geographical place. It is a new temple. And this new temple is not made up of bricks and mortar. It is made up of what Peter calls living stones. It is made up of people. It is made up of believers. It is made up of you and I. It is made up of individuals coming to Christ and being joined together in the local church and being welded together. And as they are welded together, this temple is being built. And the temple, Paul says, is founded upon the chief cornerstone who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I want you to understand about this temple, it is not just one building in one land, in the land of Israel, but this is a multinational temple. This is a global temple. This is a temple that spans continents, that spans countries, that stretches all the way around the globe to different ethnicities and different tongues so that all of these Different people are being brought together as living stones to become part of this temple. And in this temple, God's presence dwells 
in a special way because God's Spirit indwells every individual believer. And as each individual believer comes into the body of Christ, the whole church, the new temple, is a dwelling place of God through the Holy Spirit. You are part of this glorious thing that God is doing. You are one of the stones that God is using to build this temple. And it's not just about our church, it's about the church universal, it's about the church around the world. But what I want you to understand is that you can't be part of this temple rightly if you're still clinging on to your racial pride. You can't be part of a multinational work of God if you're still holding on to your cultural preferences. You can't be part of this glorious thing that God is doing if you're not willing to cross over cultural lines and to be uncomfortable and to say, you know what, I have a culture that I'm familiar with, but that's, not, that's just one culture. That's not the best culture. Your culture is just as wonderful, and I want to enjoy that and appreciate that. It's about the big picture. The big picture, what God is doing, is he is building the church, and the church is the new temple that spans the globe. And he wants to indwell that temple, and he wants that temple to be the special dwelling place of his presence here on earth. And that is why we are passionate about racial unity, ethnic harmony in the midst of diversity, and that is why we are passionate about crossing cultural and ethnic lines in the body of Christ. Because this is the design of the cross of God. And this is what God is doing in the world. Brothers and sisters, it's a glorious thing to be part of the body of Christ. It is a tremendous privilege and honor to not just be saved individually, but to be saved into community. It is a beautiful thing that God has done in not just showing us grace, but showing us double grace, not only reaching across spiritual lines, but reaching across ethnic and racial lines to bring us to Christ. In light of this big and glorious thing that God is doing, how petty and how small are our little divisions? How petty and how small are our little cultural preferences. How petty and small are our little distinctions. May we get lost in the greatness of the gospel and its work in this world. And as a result, be united together as a church. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we are, we come and respond to your word. We are both humbled and we are grateful for the work that you have done in our lives. And Father, we also recognize that all of us have much to repent of and much to be sorry for. For all of us have this pride in our hearts in which we see all of life through the lens of our own experiences and our own backgrounds. And Father, how easy it is to be caught up in so many small things when you are doing this great work 
in our midst, purely by your grace. Father, we pray that you would work not because of us, but in spite of us. Father, we pray that you would take your gospel and minister to it, to the deepest part of our hearts, that not just our actions would be changed, but our attitudes, our thoughts, the way we view one another would be changed and transformed through the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, we look forward to that day when we will join with all of the redeemed, people from every tribe and tongue and nation, to glorify your name for all of eternity. Until then, may the church be a reflection of heaven here on earth. May you continue to do your work in our midst. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.